In today's episode, Tara and I take a close look at reactive abuse. This is when victims are provoked to respond in an abusive relationship. We're going to look at when this happens and some reasons why it happens. And today's self-help tip is on connecting a positive affirmation with a particular helpful, healthy behavior. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, where we talk about strategies, tips, and tricks on navigating and recovering from narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie McAvoy, a mental health clinician with over 20 years experience and author of Love You More, a graphic inside look at my experience of a toxic relationship. And I'm your other co-host, Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach and B survivor and author of Reclaim and Recover, Heal from Toxic Relationships with a seven-step guided journal. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about reactive abuse. So Carrie, someone reached out to me recently wondering if they were the abuser in the relationship. There have been a history of abuse in the relationship, not necessarily that they had instantly Recently, they had begun instigating, and they were wondering if they should get help, like anger management, therapy, help for their abusive behavior, because they were feeling like they were the sole abuser in the relationship. Do you feel like this you get reached out to about things like this, Carrie? All the time. All the time. It's very common. I've even had people send me clips of arguments asking, am I the narcissist? Or am I the one in the wrong? It's a very common dynamic. I actually saw myself get there too. Not that I became physically abusive, but I started employing some of the same tactics emotionally. Like I would use the non-apology apology just as a way to sort of be, to be crappy back because he was being so hurtful to me. I wanted to sort of give him a taste of his own medicine. Or there've been times when I remember when he would leave the room, he'd stonewall and I'd go into the shower and just, I don't know why the shower. I don't know why they thought that afforded me any more privacy, but I would go into the shower and scream. I mean, actually, it probably was the worst thing because it would echo in there. But I just felt, I felt completely beside myself and I became a foreigner to myself. Like, I didn't recognize myself. So I, I understand when people reach out and say this because I so can relate. Yeah, I can really relate. I was raised in a really physically, emotionally, and verbally abusive home growing and I remember a time when I started instigating the majority of the physical altercations. And that is something I later had to really own and look at in myself is, you know, is this me as a person that I need to address? Is it because of the situation I was in? What is it? And it is something that I saw in my most unhealthy relationship is that there was definitely a period in that relationship where I would throw things, I would break things, I would be the one screaming. And sometimes I would be the one who started screaming, who started yelling, who started name calling. All the things that I didn't want my own partner to do, I definitely was doing it myself. And I definitely felt like I was also the abusive one. And honestly, it also really kept me stuck in both of those relationships because I felt like I was as responsible as my partner. And and sometimes I even felt more responsible. Like I was definitely the more messed up one to do more work on myself, to do anger management and individual therapy. I needed to really look at and address my abusive patterns in this relationship. And it wasn't until I was doing work with a trauma therapist, actually, who really pointed out the term reactive abuse and how 
reactive abuse is often a result of long-standing abuse within the relationship. And then it's often the victims, our attempt to fight back, to defend ourselves. And when I saw it in that context, it really, it didn't make me feel any less bad, honestly, because I still I still hate that that was something I did. I still felt really ashamed and embarrassed that those were part of me and who I was in those relationships. But it did give me a little bit more grace and compassion for myself. And that, yes, it was. It was after years of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. Years of being with someone, for example, who punched walls, slammed doors that prevented me from leaving, shutting doors on me, that it wasn't then surprising that when I was trying to fight back, I would do, I would employ those exact same behaviors. Yeah, yeah. I read Jackson McKenzie's book, Psychopath Free. Not all of it. I just got to the introduction, but he says right at the beginning, he says, if you're reacting because of somebody else's abuse and manipulation, then this is a reaction, not your independent behavior. You're responding, you're being manipulated into this position to fight back like this. That hit me powerfully. I actually have to say there's a part of me that doesn't like that because I don't like to feel that that kind of loss of power. On the other hand, I know that when we move into a relationship, I expect the other person to be as vulnerable as myself. And when you look at it, the power dynamics of an abusive relationship is a massive inequity. The other person is not investing in the same way. There's a, there's a significantly different level of vulnerability and risk that they're taking versus the victim's taking. The victim tends to go in more wholeheartedly. The abuser tends to go in more strategic, more just more uh, reserved, guarded, even if they're not being exploitive in the sense of, hey, they have a longer con game going on here, but they still, they're still going in more protectively with less of themselves on the line. So it's uncomfortable to hear that. But yeah, I recognize that near the end of that relationship, I felt like I was personally unraveling. I didn't question whether or not I was abusive. I just felt like I was going crazy. That's how it felt for me. I was going crazy. And I relate to that too. And that's something that my therapist at the time really worked with me on, you know, what was your reason for acting the way that you did, for breaking, for throwing that? What was your reason? And really what always came back, really for me, what was the reason when I really explored as many instances as I could remember, which dealing with trauma, like there's a lot of things that I probably forgot, plus I have ADHD, but Almost always my reasoning to really escalate it is I wanted the other person to stop. That's really what it came from. I felt helpless and I was trying to make the situation stop by being the biggest or the craziest. I was trying to be the top dog so the, so this altercation would stop. And mm-hmm. my therapist at the time really pointed out that my desire was in no way to have control or power over this other person that it was an actual act of self-protection, that that's what I was doing. I was trying to be like the biggest alpha dog (laughs) in an attempt to make this stop. I wasn't trying to have power and control over this other person. I just just wanted this abuse to stop. Yeah, yeah. My motivation for it was I thought that if I could somehow give this person experience of what I was experiencing, then they would sort of see the light Mm. and then we'd have this 
this sort of reconciliation and, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that this is how horrible, how painful, but it didn't work. What I found was it was either missed as if it never happened. Literally, you know, if I did a non-apology apology or whatever, if I was nasty or gaslit back, it was act as, as if I didn't, they didn't register it. Or if I did, then it would justify even worse behavior because, see, I'm no better then. He, that he would use it then against me and say, how dare you think that you're together? Because look, who would do that? You did that. So you're, if you think I'm bad, you're bad. It, all I did was, in his mind, leveled the playing field because now I had fallen to his level in his opinion. Yeah, so it doesn't work. But here's a question that kind of bothered me about Jackson McKenzie's comment in Psychopath Free. Almost felt like to me he was saying, we can't help ourselves. But I don't like that. I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I I do feel like even then, I felt like I was still in control. I could have not done that. I could have with resisted saying those things. Mine was more verbally, more emotionally. What do you think? Do you think you could have withheld anything that way? Or did you feel like you were backed into a corner and had no choice? I can definitely look back and see times when I felt utterly helpless, like an all backed in the corner. I definitely feel like, did that warrant or excuse what I chose to do? No. But there were also times where I was very aware of everything that I was doing and knowing the result or consequences of what I was doing. Um, mm. And at some point, I kind of just stopped. Really, at the end, I just kind of stopped caring. You know, I stopped caring about how I might be perceived or how this was crazy. I guess I was just kind of embracing, I'm going to be nuts because I just was, I had gone that far and well, I never want to go that far ever again. I know a lot of our listeners might relate to that. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't feel I had gone that far, but I definitely was no longer recognizing myself and changing. I was becoming mildly suicidal. I was getting to the place of I didn't really care if I live or die because that would at least be a decision. And this feels certainly healthier than what's happening here. So yeah, I was moving into more of a depression, I think, than I was into, oh, let's just I'll bring it all out. But yeah, I it, it, it's a horrible place. When I hear people come and share this stuff with me, I know they're at a place of complete desperation and, and shame and humiliation that this is a terribly uncomfortable spot to be in. To me, that's how intense the cognitive dissonance is getting. I know we've talked about that before in a previous episode, this a couple episodes ago, but that the confusion is such and the feeling so locked in, you don't know any other choice. I personally, I think all of us, don't like feeling like we're in a cage. I mean, I thought that was a powerful analogy you used, that you're backed into a car or you're in a cage and you can't get out. Yeah, they sometimes do do that. They, they cage us in. I felt like I was reaching the point near that at the very end, something was going to break, like massively break. I didn't know if it meant that I was going to get hurt or whether or not I was going to hurt, but I knew that we were in a death spiral and something had to give or this is going to be catastrophic. Well, in that relationship for me, it did get catastrophic. Mm. It was just a sign of just how bad it was. Yeah. It was just so what, bad. So what do you tell people when they come in and say this to you? What advice do you give them? I really try first to put it in context of the whole relationship. I think that's a necessary first step in assessing, is this something you brought to the relationship? Or is this something that's coming as, as what we're talking about as a reaction? Have you been abusive in previous relationships? If you were, how did that look like? What have been your attempts to have power and control over your partner? 
you know, putting it in context of perception. And nearly always, not always, but nearly always, what I've found with these individuals is that this after like what we've talked about, after a long standing place of abuse. Yeah. Verbal, physical, emotional, gaslighting. And for many of us, it honestly feels like being provoked that this person knows our limits and they're going to push it. Like there was one word, for example, in my marriage, I had communicated clearly, if you call me this word, that I'm going to lose it. It had clearly been communicated multiple times. This is a word that you cannot call me. If you call me, I will lose it. And that's that's the word that he would use to then provoke me because I'd given him that information. And so he would use it. That would be like the card he would pull out when he wanted me to go crazy. That's really what it was. And the thing is, I'm the kind of person just in general that if you're going to yell at me, I'm probably going to yell at you back. But in this relationship, I hadn't been doing that for a very long time. And I think that wasn't good enough. There wasn't enough at stake if I if I wasn't playing this this abusive game. And so he threw the card out. And it after that, it was it became more and more often that he would throw the card out. And that was the breaking point for me. It just kept happening. Yeah. That's what I see for a lot of individuals. That's a common dynamic. I think that's even a really important point that you're making is that that toxic people are provocative. They evoke these purposefully, often, not always, but a lot of times, more maybe more times than we're comfortable with, they're evoking that. I think that's a fascinating concept. And, and I think it's important for people to remember is that some of this is not accidental. It's not just somebody who's being hot-headed and can't resist what they say. I mean, you told this person, do not use that word, and they deliberately then turn around and used it. That's a choice. Yeah. And I, I think this is my theory on why that happens, and I'd love to know why you think it happens. I think my theory is I think these individuals really enjoy getting us down in the mud with them so they can say that they're not the only one who does this. It gives them a better backstory, a narrative to explain that why then they need to do what they do, whether it's to leave or why they've abused us or whatever. For example, there's this right now, by the time people are hearing this, it will be several weeks old, but there is a there was an altercation with a famous person, I can't think of this person's name, where he choked his girlfriend and she went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the text messages are coming out where she said, I said, Red I knocked the phone. I know I knocked the phone out of your hands and that you then reacted. In other words, I, it's my fault that that happened. Yeah, I evoked it. Right. You're not a bad person that you made me end up in the hospital. <laughs> it's crazy how like, well, that really makes a whole lot of sense. But it's fascinating how it sort of sets up another story so then they don't look bad for doing what they do. And it's surprising to me, Tara, the number of people are so deliberate, they'll actually film you reacting. They'll set you up and then film you falling apart so they can say, look what a crazy woman or a crazy man I'm in a relationship with. So I, I think that's one of the reasons. But I don't think that's the only reason. I just think that's one of the reasons. I think another reason, they get joy out of having power over us. And, and there's nothing more powerful than to make someone fall apart. But what, why do you think they do this? I lean more towards the first option that you gave. And that's honestly the, the, what I have seen the most personally as well as professionally. That it's, it is when someone else is the crazy one too, we can keep them stuck with us longer because it's a shared problem. Right. There's not one perpetrator 
versus victim. It's we're both perpetrators. We're both victims. So I think that shared responsibility allows them continue to have power and control over the actual victim because they keep them in the relationship. We're both problems. We both have to work on this. We both struggle. And I've worked with many of those couples where that's what they have come to me saying. And then as we've worked together, I've realized, no, you're not both. (laughs) You're not both the abusers. That's not what's happening here. I have found that difficult for the victim to hear and Mm -hmm. and own for themselves because that's that's scary you know it's scary and uncomfortable to think that the person you're supposed to be sharing this problem with is actually the one who's causing that problem you think they find the sadism of it uncomfortable to think that somebody could be that that cruel yeah and i think there's also that shame piece they, it's really hard for them to let go of feeling so ashamed for their own actions, to see it as a reaction, an attempt to protect ourselves versus just a abusive dynamic that goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. You're reminding me of that tape that woman sent me. It was an audio tape where her partner woke her up in the middle of the night. That's the first part. She didn't share that part. It was after I heard it that I heard the rest of it. They literally woke her up out of a sound sleep, begins to scream at her, and then she's, I don't remember exactly what she said, but something about, you know, trying to like love herself or be loving. And then he turns around and says, how can I love somebody who doesn't think enough of themselves that they would actually make an attempt against their own life? Like, whoa. I mean, the degree of abusive sadisticness of that, the flipping of the narrative and making a person's desperation sign of their unworthiness. He goes like, how could I love you? Why would I love you? Why would I love anybody like that? Yeah, that's that's cruel, just outright cruel. And I know for her, and the reason she's sending it to me, she really thought she was the one ill. She be- she was believing his his line and questioned now her own sanity. I, I do. I think sometimes it is we struggle to believe that some people are literally that calculating, that that callous, that ruthless, and that's sick. Maybe it's easier to throw ourselves on, you know, out and say, no, it must be me. I must somehow deserve this. Or maybe it's true. But I I remember years ago, I read an article written by Dr. David Snarf, and I love to refer to him because I just think the guy was amazing. But he said that one of the things that we need to see in relationships is the degree of sadism and that sadism is a frequently a part of a lot of relationships, that sometimes we do things to our partner on purpose to be cruel and we know we're being cruel. And we don't really actually care that a whole lot. I find it hard to see it. And I certainly find it hard to call out because it just feels too unbelievable that someone would act on that. Yet I know I can see moments of sadism in my last relationship, obvious moments where it was designed to hurt me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely have memories of moments that were like that, too. And both both my romantic relationship and growing up. And yeah. I think those were the most, those were honestly the most traumatic moments because I, there's no way, I have no way of understanding those moments, rationalizing them. I, I don't. And right. I, I'm, I'm honestly glad that I don't because that would mean that I would be a psychopath and a sadist, you know, I, but I, that makes it harder to like wrap my brain around to try to make sense of them. But I, I had to learn to let that go because I'm I'm not that kind of person. I'm just not. So how do you think? I mean, I have my own ideas, but I'd love to hear yours too. How do you think we can help people out of this? One of my thoughts is 
to take a history with yourself. Is this a problem you've had in every relationship or is this something that's popped up and new? That's a good indicator. If it's new, it might be more likely that it's reactive abuse. That was one of my thoughts. What do you want to would you say to somebody as we kind of wrap up today that you think is a good, important takeaway for this? Yeah. Similar to what you said is that start with the context. Okay. So even if you've been in abusive relationships, which if you've been in one abusive relationship, unfortunately, it's it's likely that you're going to be in another one. So if you have found yourself being abusive in those relationships too, let's take some time to reflect, like sit down and look at who is abusive first. How did that abuse show up? Was it verbal, emotional, mental? Were there boundary violations? Like, for example, like when I called me the, the one word I told him never call me, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and when did your abusive behavior or your reactive abusive behavior first show up? And how long was it after after that? So having some context of the whole Because I think it's easy to really narrow into those specific events versus looking at the relationship as a whole. And another part is evaluating for yourself what was your goal or intention when you acted out that way. It could have been you just wanted to be nuts, but more than likely it was if it was reactive abuse, it comes from standing up for yourself, trying to fight back, self-defense. It's not it's not as goal oriented to having power and control over the other person. And it's not power and control if you want the other person to stop abusing you. That, that's that's caring for ourselves, okay? So please don't misread that or misunderstand. That's that's not what an abuser wants. They want power and control over you, your actions, your decisions. They're not wanting you to stop hurting them. That, that's just cute. You know, they want you to do that so they can use it against you. Exactly. I think that's the, the best place to start in assessing Am I an abusive person versus am I reactively being abusive because I'm in already an abusive relationship? And I, I think that can open the door to next steps like going to seek help for ourselves outside of that relationship. Couples probably isn't the best idea uh, in a situation like that. It may help us starting to get help and work through that emotional pain and some of that cognitive dissonance to start figuring out our next steps in the relationship. I totally agree. I love that. That's really very helpful. Very helpful. In today's self-help tip, I'm going to suggest that you pair a positive affirmation with a positive action. There's been so many studies about the value of using affirmations. And here's just a few that I pulled up. Reduce negative thoughts, reduce stress, increased happiness, increased gratefulness. Enhance physical activities, such as if you're thinking of a marathon runner completing a particularly hard race, as well as reinforce positive thinking. What I have found working with a lot of people who have been in toxic relationships in the past is, for one, positive affirmations seem super cheesy and they don't particularly want to do them. And it's hard because if we've been in toxic, unhealthy, abusive, narcissistic relationships, it's really hard to say I'm worthy and deserving of love and respect. What I've found both personally as well as with my clients is that it can be really helpful to pair that whatever affirmation that you choose would be helpful with a positive action immediately reinforces it. So when I was attempting to recover from my toxic relationship, for example, I got a massage package where every month I would go and I had a massage and I would use that 
as a time to practice my affirmation as of I love and care for myself. That really helped me reinforce that for myself because it was really difficult to say I love and care for myself when I was eating badly or not exercising or really struggling maintaining boundaries with my terrible ex. That didn't reinforce what I needed it to. So I started by pairing it with that action. And that was a great place to start because it really helped to reinforce what I wanted out of that affirmation was, you know, to learn and remember that I'm lovable and worthy and deserving of love and respect. Can you relate at all to today's topic of reactive abuse? Is that something you believe you've experienced in a relationship? And did today's insights help you perceive it differently? And what action do you think you could pair with a positive affirmation to help it sink in more? You can let us know by emailing us at hello at breakingfreewithcarrytara.com. If you haven't yet, make sure you follow or subscribe, write a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. If you're not following us on social media yet, you can check me out at tara.relationshipcoach and carrie at carriemacaboyphd. We'll see you back here next Monday where we'll be talking about how the narcissist can change after your relationship becomes cemented.